Today's reading comes from the book of Jonah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to you, the Lord, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All the waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your temple? The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true glory. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the jobs of a pastor when teaching is to help people make connections between a Bible story and their own lives. Well, today's story takes place in the belly of a fish. So thanks for dropping by. We'll see you next week. Now. If that's the only way we think of Jonah chapter 2, that it takes place in the belly of a fish, we probably won't make any connections. But you know what's really happening here? What's really happening in this moment is that Jonah is dealing with the consequence of his sin and his disobedience. Jonah chapter 2 is a beautiful poetic passage, in part because of the deep humanity it reveals and the power of God's forgiveness. There are a number of things to contemplate in this passage, but here's the first thing I think we have to pay attention to. Jonah was in the belly of the fish because he had been disobedient. And so one question for us is, are there places in our lives where we too have been disobedient? There are ways that even in this very moment, I'm running from God. Well, what does that look like? I think there are primarily three ways that we tend to run from God. The first way we tend to run from God is very simply by running from a relationship with Jesus Christ in the first place. And for some people, running from that relationship is based on cosmic objections. The origins of the universe, how something might come from nothing versus something coming from an original cause. Some people have those big questions. But most people that I've interacted with, most people, if they're really, really honest, would say that the reason they don't pursue relationship with Jesus Christ is because they are under the belief that their sin is too great. And if you're one of those people watching today, I just want to remind you about something from the story of Jonah. In the story of Jonah, what we learned about God is that God was so passionate about seeking after people that God sent a prophet to a town called Nineveh the capital city of the Assyrian Empire that had murdered thousands of Israel's citizens and destroyed Israel's culture. Yet God still loved. God still sought relationship with the people of Nineveh. 
If God's grace is big enough for the Ninevites, for the Assyrians, if God's grace is big enough for the Persians and the Babylonians and the Romans, God's grace is big enough for you. And yet, one of the ways we run from God is simply by running away from a relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's a second way. Not only do we run away from a relationship with Jesus, another way we run from God is that we tend to run away from the relationships God calls us to in our lives. Particularly, we tend to run away from the healing God wants to do in relationships in our lives. We find ourselves at odd with another, odds with another person. And we know, we know, we all know that the Bible calls us to seek out connection and healing. We know that Jesus commanded us to seek reconciliation. But it is not something we want to do. So we run. Along the way, sometimes we enjoy our bitterness and our self-imposed pity party. We clam up around that person. We give them the slow freeze And what we need to know is while we are running from healing, in that relationship, we are also running from God. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus Christ is very clear. He says if we're trying to engage in an act of worship and we remember that there is some kind of consternation or problem in a relationship, that we need to stop engaging in the act of worship immediately, go and seek healing in that relationship, and then come back to the act of worship. The implication is that I cannot fully be in connection with God while I am at enmity with someone else. One way we, like Jonah, run from God is we run from a relationship with Christ. Another way is that we run from the healing God wants to do in our interpersonal relationships. But there's a third way that we run. And that third way that we run is by running from using the blessings God has given us in the manner God has commanded us to. God calls us to share our faith with someone else. But we're too afraid to be vulnerable, so we don't. God calls us to lead, but we're afraid to fail, so we don't. God calls us to tithe. We're afraid, so we don't. God calls us to use our energy and our time in a certain way, and we refuse Three ways we tend to run from God. I want to invite all of us to ask a question. How have I been running from the Lord? How have I running from relationship with Jesus? How have I been running from healing that God wishes to bring to a relationship? How am I running from using my talents and my time and my resources as God commands And if we're honest with ourselves, my guess is that most of us would answer those questions by saying, yes, yes. Yes, there are some ways in my life that, like Jonah, I'm running from God. And if we stayed with that path of honesty for just a moment, if we were really, really clear with ourselves, one further thing we might recognize is that while we know we've been running from God in this particular area, we also know We really have no plans to change. (laughs) 
can you smell the fish coming? Leonard Sweet tells an interesting story about a tribal custom in the Native American community. He says one tribe of Native Americans had a unique practice for training their youngsters. On the night of a boy's 13th birthday, he was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone until that moment he'd never been away from the security of his family and his tribe. But on this night, he was blindfolded and taken miles away. When the blindfold was removed, he was in the middle of a thick wood by himself all night long. Imagine what that must have felt like for a young child in the middle of the woods. Every time a twig snapped, no doubt he visualized a fierce animal somewhere nearby. Every time an animal howled, he imagined a wolf leaping out of the darkness. Each time the wind blew, he wondered what more sinister sound it masked. It must have been terrifying for him. Well, after what seemed like an eternity, the first rays of sunlight entered the interior of the forest, and looking around, the boy saw flowers and trees and the outline of a path. Then, to his utter astonishment, he beheld the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and arrow. It was the boy's father. And the father had been there all night long. The boy felt alone and distant, but his father was watching over him the entire time. In the same way, our Father in heaven strives to protect us. God is there caring for us as our hedge of protection at all times. God seeks to protect us even from, especially from ourselves, church. Because the Lord lives us, loves us too much to allow us to miss the blessings that God has in store. So just like what happens in the story of Jonah, when we find ourselves sailing in the wrong direction, God often sends a fish our way, a disruption, a pause, a crisis. And while it may not feel like it, when God sends the fish, it's actually a blessing. That's not often how we think about disruptions or, or crises in our lives. Think about the, jo the blessing of the fish in Jonah's life. And there are several. The first thing the fish did for Jonah was the fish saved Jonah's life. Jonah had been thrown overboard. He was helpless in that moment in the middle of the sea. And the fish became his salvation. Oh, it was, it was scary, no doubt. It was a big fish in the middle of the ocean, but in the midst of it all, though Jonah had very little control, the fish became the instrument of his salvation. There are times when God allows something difficult, even painful, into our lives in order to save our lives. But that's not all. Not only did the fish save Jonah's life, 
Another thing the fish did was the fish got Jonah on the right path. Jonah had been going in the wrong direction. And the fish got him going in the right direction. Imagine if God had allowed Jonah to pursue this journey all the way to the city of Tarshish in Spain. What would Jonah's life have been like? We talk often about the the call of God on our lives, that we were created with purpose, and Jonah would have found himself 2,500, 3,000 miles away from where he was supposed to be. Worse than that, he'd have found himself disconnected from his purpose. The fish saved Jonah's life, but the fish also saved Jonah's mission. Even that is not the most important thing. There's a third gift the fish gives to Jonah. The fish created space for the prophet to have one-on-one time with the Creator. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them with me to Jonah chapter 2. Look here in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Here's the first thing we got to see in this passage, this psalm. What we find is that Jonah's desperate. He's desperate. There's a real honesty to his location. That word, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. The best correlation to the word Sheol in Hebrew into English, the best translation is that Sheol is basically tantamount to what we would think of as hell. Jonah is crying out to God saying, I felt as if I was in a living hell. I cried out to you and you heard my voice. Look what comes next in verse 6. Jonah says at the end of verse 6, You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. If you're a note taker, write down Jonah chapter 2 verse 6b. You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of praise for every believer in Christ. Oh God, you brought my life out of the pit. And it doesn't matter what pit we find ourselves in, God can bring us out of it. But even if God doesn't immediately bring us out of the pit, some amazing things can happen in the pit. Look at verse 7. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I, with thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Remember, where was Jonah when he makes this vow? 
So great is the power of relationship with our God that even when we find ourselves in the belly of the beast, at the bottom of the ocean, in the deepest valley of creation, our God's presence is enough in that moment to inspire praise. You know what heaven is, church? Heaven is not about streets that are made out of gold or gates fashioned from pearls. Heaven is about the un filtered presence of God. It can be in the clouds above or the belly of a beast below, but what Jonah learned in the fish wasn't just that he was loved. Jonah learned what it was to be fulfilled. But if the Lord our God is with me, it doesn't matter where I am, in the belly of the fish or in the capital city of my enemies, I am filled with praise and thanksgiving. And look at this last section. I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. What I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. The fish saved Jonah's life. The fish saved Jonah's mission. But most importantly, that time in the fish saved Jonah's soul by connecting him once more to the thing he truly needed. Our God. In the belly of the fish, Jonah's pride and his prejudice was stripped away. And he encountered the one thing, the one thing he truly needed. We all run at times. And when we run in the wrong direction, God will often send a fish our way. A crisis. A storm. And we can spend our lives angry about it. Or we can see it for what it is. A father watching over his children. God used the most unexpected vessel to save Jonah's life, to save his mission, to save his very soul. Has God allowed a crisis in your life? You found yourself in the belly of the beast? If so, how is God using this time to save you, to save your life, to save your family, to save your mission, to save your soul? I know we have all felt like we're in the storm. All of us have felt this way. We're all facing challenges. But is it possible that the challenges we've been railing against have all the while been the vessel through which God wishes to send our salvation? The Father loves us too much to let us go in the wrong direction. God loves us too much to let us squander our lives. 
See, just like Jonah, we were created for mission. Created with purpose. And when we're ignoring that, when we're running from that, when we are not living the life that our Father in Heaven knows we could live, God often intercedes to save us in every possible way. This one final thought. It's so interesting to me that God uses Jonah the way God does. Jonah's reluctant. Jonah runs. Jonah's whiny and pouty. We're going to see this in the next couple of chapters. He's, he is not the cat that you'd want to spend a Friday evening with. But God still used him. As flawed and imperfect as Jonah was, God used him to help save an entire nation of people. And God can use you and me too. And this week, God did. This week, over 300 people ran in our 10th annual Go for Bow race. 24 of those people ran from the Child, Rescue, Child Reintegration Center in Bow, Sierra Leone. We've had a couple of participants who have run from different places around here, and we've got some of these pictures of these amazing people all over our community and all over the world who have run this race. People who have run in Spain, Grenada, Denmark, Great Britain, and in exotic places like Oklahoma and Ohio and West Virginia and Pennsylvania and North Carolina and Florida and Alabama. One Ebenezer small group has this history of going on vacation together, and they actually ran Gopher Bow at the Outer Banks this week. But I wanted to show you one really, really cool picture. This picture was taken in Spain. Someone connected to Helping Children Worldwide, the beneficiary of, of the, the work that we do with Gopher Bow. And it's really cool that they, this person ran the race in Spain. I love that, I love that, I love that. But here's what's even cooler. As they're crossing this finish line, the ship that's in the background of this picture is the USS Africa Mercy. And if you'll remember, of course, one of the great parts of, of our efforts in, in Bo Sierra Leone have been to stand up and support Mercy Hospital on the continent of Africa. We've all made mistakes in our lives. Every one of us. We've made mistakes in our lives, but even when we run from God, the Lord isn't through with us. Because our mission isn't yet complete. We can still be the ones who help God rescue the world. This race changes people's lives. This year we crested $300,000 in donations through Go for Bow to this race for this amazing purpose. I shared with you last week just briefly about the depth of impact that being at the Child Reintegration Center and Mercy Hospital had in my life. And I told you then, and I'll say it once more, I've never, never been more proud as a pastor than I was when I was walking through the corridors of Mercy Hospital. Never been so proud to be the pastor of a people. Thank you, Ebenezer Church, for coming together to make a difference. 
We all run away. All of us do. All of us do. But our mission isn't finished yet. And sometimes, sometimes, when we're going in the wrong direction, God is going to send that fish. We can rail against it, be angry with it, or we can let God use the trials and the difficulties and the crises in our lives to get us on the right path and to get us back doing our mission. Together, people called Ebenezer have been part of being the beacon of hope to one of the poorest countries on the earth. And that's prophetic. God did this through us and people like us. And God will do it again. So long as we remember that our salvation comes from the Lord. So what are you still doing in the belly of that fish? Church, there's work to do. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess that we've run. And our disobedience takes so many forms. Basically, Lord, it equates to us running from you, running from one another, and running from what you have called us to do. Forgive us, O Lord. Help us to recognize that the moments in our lives that you have allowed a storm, a big fish, to save us, to move us towards the mission, to rescue our very souls. And God, we thank you that you use people like us, people like Jonah, people who are imperfect servants to do the most amazing things. And we pray now together for the people of Sierra Leone and the women and men in Bo. We pray for the staff at Mercy Hospital and the Child Reintegration Center. We pray for the children whose lives are nurtured and families whose lives are nurtured. And we thank you for the opportunity to make a difference in this world. Thank you, gracious God, for your many, many blessings in our lives. Help us to follow wherever you will lead. In Christ's name, amen.